Welcome to Behind the Backline, the podcast where we chat with merchants, brands, and industry professionals in the musical instrument, pro audio, and event technology space about their products, services, industry trends, stories, and more. Join us now as we dig into the stories behind our favorite backline gear. Welcome to episode 24 of Behind the Backline. I'm Matt Jacoby of Octave Media, and today I am talking with Jeff Schallenberger of Sugar Percussion. Thanks for joining me today, Jeff. Thanks Jefferson. for having me. Excuse me, Thank Jefferson. <laughs> Jeff is fine. I, I use Jefferson when I'm working for you. I can charge more for that. Got it. Yeah, it does sound a little more ritzy, and I, I, I'd expect that out of a Jefferson. <laughs> Jeff is the redheaded kid that lives down the street. Got it. <laughs> So yeah, let's uh, kind of start off things by sharing a little bit about who you are with the listeners. Who am I? Uh, I am a California resident, started a drum company about, I guess the first kit was about eight years ago, but it was uh, pretty part-time for a while. Um, I'm actually a furniture maker for 20 years. So this whole thing started uh, when my old Fives kit that I got when I was 12 finally conceded to old age and poor packing and and by that point I had started to learn how to make furniture and I was too broke to buy a new kit so I cannibalized all the hardware and started playing around in the wood shop um, figuring out how to make new shells so that was the humble beginning of this of the drum company cool and like is there I guess uh, was your uh Furniture company have any like relation to sugar furniture or was that a whole different or whole separate thing? <laughs> whole separate thing. Um, okay. I've I've been doing custom residential furniture for for all those twenty years um, and continue to do it. Um, so yeah, separate thing. But the the vocabulary from learning how to do that was was easily transferable um, to this kind, and that that fed. That influenced how I make the drums just because I was coming from a standpoint. I wasn't a drummer that wanted to figure out how to make drums. I was a woodworker that wanted to figure out how to make drums. So I had I had a skill set and this particular method that I use was, made the most sense to me from a woodworking standpoint. No, that's kind of a cool different angle because I've talked to people like um, other drum makers who have gone from the, yeah, like, the, like you said, the drummer who wanted to make his own drums and started refurbishing old kits and attempted mm-hmm. to kind of go for more of a sound versus um, materials, but or you yeah. can the material side first. So that's uh, that's a cool different angle. Yeah, I had, a, I had a lot of experience with the different materials. And actually when I first decided to, to dive headlong into it, I, before that I was renting space to an acoustic guitar maker and he had me do all his milling for backs and sides and tops. And, and when, so we were constantly having these discussions about why are you using this wood? What kind of sound does this produce? And why would you use that back with this top, with this side and blah, blah, blah. And, and then when I wanted to make my own shells, I was recalling those conversations and figuring, uh, well, that was a wooden instrument and I want to make a wooden instrument. Why wouldn't all of that same information transfer? And so that's, that's kind of where I started. I would imagine that making wood furniture and transferring it to a triangle or a cowbell would not be uh, the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From a from a like a maker standpoint, it was I. There wasn't 
there wasn't a, a learning curve, you know, to make a circle. I had, I had been for years making things more complex than a circle. So that, that part didn't scare me. I knew I could make a, a beautiful circle. My question was whether I could make something sound good. Um, and so sort of the woodworking skills with those combined with the conversations with that guitar maker is, uh, could I put those together and make something that sounded good? So that was, those were kind of the ingredients. Cool. So when was your like, aha moment like if you had a moment where um what you just created works well with a drum head and is producing the sound that you feel is adequate or meets meets or exceeds your standards you know did you have kind of a moment where you realized that you had stumbled upon it i think i had a series of those moments i think i had i think it's been a moving target you know the early on what i thought was great i wouldn't jack my car up with now but <laughs> there, but at the time I thought it was great. You know, my first drum, I, uh, threw a head on it and hit it and it sounded like a drum. I mean, that's a pretty broad definition. Um, and I was pretty pleased. And then, and then I made some tweaks and the next one made the first one sound like crap. Um, and the next one, and that's how, you know, it felt, that felt like a natural thing that felt like how that should go. Um, and those leaps or the, the rungs on those ladders got or on that ladder got closer and closer as I got better at it. And then it, it was more nuanced tweaks and smaller tweaks and um, to when I really felt like, okay, now these are good enough that I could show somebody. Um, so there wasn't, there wasn't a, it wasn't crap, 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 then excellent. It was less crappy, less crappy, less crappy, good, <laughs> good, better, better, you know. It was a it was an escalation. So there were several of those moments. Like anything in the world, version one is always the worst thing in the world, and it just you know that you have that bench. Yeah, but it seemed going. damn fine at the time. <laughs> I was yeah. so proud of it. My mom still has the first cutting board I ever made in seventh grade. It hangs on her wall, and it's terrible. And I was so proud of that when I was. <laughs> yeah. I get it. My my son's at that point right now where he's making all kinds of things out of paper and he has to explain every every single one to me. And I'm sure <laughs> as he gets older, as he gets into kindergarten, it's going to continue to get better. And I'm like, this is great. Yeah. He's got to keep a couple that. of those. Yeah, keep a I couple will. of those to show him later. <laughs> my mom has kept everything, bless her. Oh, we're going to have to need a really big box because I swear I go and pick him up every day from kindergarten camp right now. And there's at least five to 10 things. And, you know, multiply that over the summer and uh that's a really big box full of paper items <laughs> that's great man that's great that he has that running through him that he just wants to even if it's all dog shit <laughs> it is <laughs> he yeah he loves he's a very creative guy and uh very very impressed so far um i, I say he takes after me but my wife and i are both uh, musicians we, we both come from creative backgrounds <laughs> well, that's nice that that's passed on that's good yeah yeah so uh, in terms of like which types of drums do you make, you know, tell us a little bit about the actual products themselves. Is it all snare drums? Is it kits? Is it everything? Or Well, we make all, we started with just snares. Um, it was an, it was an easiest, easiest way for me to get the information that I wanted. And, and that was that, again, recalling those conversations between the different species, my thought was that if, if I could build a good drum, if I could make, let's see, let me back up. I felt like these, each each wood had its own, for lack of a better term, voice. It had its own characteristics that distinguished it from another wood. And I felt like if you put that into a drum shell, you could really, and if you did it well, you could really exploit as much difference as possible. And I knew about plywood drums. I knew about how plywood was made. Um, it didn't make sense to me from a drum building standpoint because with all the glue that's involved, it really homogenizes the difference between different woods. Um, 
So that range gets narrower. Uh, so I knew I wanted to make solid wood shells and there were a couple different methods in, in the stave method, like a wine barrel. Um, it wasn't that I thought that was better than another way. It just made sense to me with the woodworking vocabulary that I already had. Um, I wanted to make a circle. I knew how to, I knew my way around a wood shop and that made sense to me. So that's where I started and that's where I still am. That still makes sense to me. And it was also a matter of, does the drum industry need another drum builder? Um, which is a question I think should be asked regularly because um, <laughs> there is a lot of crap out there as you know, the drum, the drum industry does not have a monopoly on that. That's that could be said for any industry, but I didn't want to start something that I didn't feel could make a con that wouldn't make a contribution to the industry. So where in this industry did I feel like I could contribute? And it was this method that, that I felt like, I think I can make a really good circle in this method. And I think that would contribute. So that's what I pursued. Um, and that's where I've stayed. That still makes sense. We still make, we make full kits now. Um, so it got broader and at the beginning, uh, a lot of the R&D was just me grabbing every different species of wood I had and making the same size circle and just to just to see what those differences, just to see if, to sort of verify my intuition about this wood's gonna sound like this and this wood's gonna sound like that. Um, and as that proved true, that uh, then it was a matter of, well, which, which one of these sound the best to me? Um, and so the, the cream sort of rose and now I've, I've narrowed that broad range to to uh, you know, three to five different species that really, I think, best showcase the differences between the woods and material that I know I can find that's quality material, material that'll last, material that'll look good 10 years from now instead of only looking good on delivery day, all those kinds of questions. Sorry, that's kind of a rambling answer to your question. No, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> so does that mean, or does that, uh, kind of what I heard was, does that mean that sugar is the only drum cup maker right now that, um, creates solid wood drums versus plies? No, not at all. Oh, not okay. even close. Okay. Um, it was more of, so there are three ways to make a solid wood shell. You can take a portion of a tree and you can hollow out the middle. Um, you can steam bend the shell, um, or you can make it out of staves. Um, the, the hollowing out version that didn't make any sense to me as a woodworker. That feels like you've taken something that, you know, every tree, every chunk of wood has a bunch of tension inherent in it. And it's, it's figured out if a tree's grown, it's figured out how to balance that, those tensions and you remove 90% of it and then beat the crap out of it and hope it stays round or doesn't crack or so that it, it's, it sounded dicey to me. Um, the steam bent method, um, you know, Craviato was, is 15 minutes down the road for me. I don't, I have yet to see a steam bent shell that's better than his. And I didn't think I could make one better than him. So why would I, that, that stopped at, I can't contribute anything better in that method. So the stave, stave method, um, you know, at the time when I started, um, there weren't as many, I mean, there are a lot of people doing it now and some of them doing a, a fantastic job. Um, at the time, uh, I only knew about Brady drums um, out of Australia. And I, uh, and they were beautiful and, and sounded great and everyone loved them. And I, but it, it felt like a niche within the industry that there wasn't saturation. 
Um, but I think they were, they were using predominantly Australian woods. So there was, there were some gaps still within that method that, that I thought I could offer. Um, so that's why I, part of why I chose that. Cool. So does a solid, solid wood, um, shell tend to be heavier than a, a ply as well? I mean, I've actually no. knew about a ply before this, so. Um, no, not necessarily. Uh, it depends on the species. You know, we use some species that are super soft and not very dense and they're much lighter than plywood shells. And then I have shells that, uh, made out of wood that doesn't float and that stuff is far heavier. So, um, it's all over the, all over the gamut, but, and that's, that's part of, that's a heavy influencer on the sound of it. So that was what I was trying to exploit. Um, that if I could make a good shell out of a softwood, it would sound wildly different than a good shell out of a hardwood and sound very different than a uh, good, a well-made shell out of a medium density wood. So, um, you know, the, like I said, the way that plywood shells are made, they have softwood plywood shells and they have hardwood plywood shells and they sound different, but you, in the construction, you have to use a lot of glue to glue those plies together. And the glue is rigid in a way that kind of dilutes the difference between those hot, so, uh, excuse me, softwoods and hardwood. So if you take a lot of that glue out, like in the solid wood methods, then you can spread out that range and really exploit the differences to a greater degree, if that makes sense. I think so. I probably would need more. <laughs> That's great. That's as good as I've ever gotten from anyone. I think so. Versus if this is a video interview, I'd see your gray eyes right now just nodding off to sleep. But... <laughs> I'm not sleeping on the desk, I swear. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Great. Uh, so um, have you ever uh, had this urge to like, well, would my drums make great coffee tables and go back to furniture? <laughs> I, well, I still build furniture. Okay. Um, and some of the bad shells, some of the ones that haven't turned out, the, they've been used for other things. Usually I like to blow them up or drive through them with cars or make videos of destruction that the 12-year-old me is, is more satisfied with, satisfied with that, but uh, not too many unused drum shells have ended up as furniture. Well, that's good. That, that means you have a very good success rate on uh, drum creation at this yeah, point. Yeah, our attrition rate is pretty low. Good. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I know you mentioned it kind of at the beginning, but um, uh, Sugar has been around for since, uh, for you said about eight years or so? Uh, eight years is probably the first shells that were made. Um, and there was some time that was a, you know, that was one of those early moments where I thought it was great and now wouldn't show anyone. Um, it's probably been about four years since we were doing it wholeheartedly. Um, at the beginning, it was it was all after hours because I was only the only income was from the furniture. Um, now it's about 50 50 furniture and drums. Cool. And it'll swing back and forth. The furniture will will wane a bit as and I've been lucky that the. You know, drum orders will pile in and and I'll and I'll get through those and then some furniture will be ordered and it's good my short attention span is is better scratched by the the variety gotcha. um, <laughs> so are they all available directly from you or do you have anything in at, a, at dealers or like our retailers I sell directly and prefer it just because I like I really uh, enjoy the conversations a lot of all the the builds start with conversations about what people are looking for and I like to have I like to meet people that way and see if I can um, 
I can aim my building at what they're trying to get. Um, but I also sell through Sweetwater and Vintage King Audio, and then just recently started selling through uh, Nelson Drum Company in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Cool. Well, that explains yeah. why um, all of your uh, quote-unquote e-commerce platform add-to-cart kind of things on your website are just your email. They all start with custom orders, basically? Yep, yep. I mean, we have some, we have our sort of flagship products and those are what I sell most of. Um, but we still make custom, custom sizes, custom species of wood. And, um, but again, it's, you know, I, I'm not making 10,000 shells a year and it's, uh, $300 and you can just buy whatever it's, it's, it's a more involved process. Um, and, and I think better served by a conversation at the beginning. Um, there's a reason why someone is deciding just to spend a lot more on a drum kit and and they have particular itches that they want scratched by this drum kit. And I think that's best served by someone who knows the material and a conversation between the two or um, coming to visit the shop and they can see what I do. And so so I'll always do the direct thing. That, that part is, I like the custom aspect. You know, I've, I, like I said, I've been doing that for 20 years with the furniture and it's just... To me, that's a that's an integral part of the process. It's kind of nice how it keeps you small, but it's you know a small family-owned premium that kind of thing. But it, and, mm-hmm. and approachable, of course. But it's nice that you also have some options to go through a few different retailers, just you know to to have some exposure and um, potentially just get your name out there at least. Yeah, there's that. I think there's also a credibility factor. I think people are a little tentative when when there isn't dealership. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that they're accustomed to and it, it can lend some credibility to that. And the, and the people that I work with as dealers have definitely done that and they're all excellent. And I really enjoy and fruit from those relationships. Um, I just also like to do it myself. Yeah, no, definitely. Most people can always refer, you know, I have had people go to the, go through those dealers, but have more questions that, that they're more questions than their salesman can answer and they can send them to me and the sale will still go back through them. Um, but it gets all the customer's questions answered and then everybody feels better about doing the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. So are you still the only person that makes them? You don't have any employees then for the drum? I have one employee. Okay. Um, and he is great and can make drums as well as I can. And it, it takes a lot. You know, I've worked for myself for 22 years. Um, and I'm, I'm a control freak about that stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's my name. It's my daughter's name on the drum. Um, so it took a while to get to the point where um, I, know, I, I, I know that I could ship something that he made and I would gladly put my name on it. Um, he and I are working at the same level. I have, you know, I have more experience about picking the wood and being able to go to the lumber store and see a plank of wood that's still rough cut and you can't really see what's going, but I can tell what's going on and I'll know which, which wood to pick. But that's just from years of experience. But the actual making of the shell, that's trainable. And, and this person that works with me, Noah, is fantastic. So. Cool. So yeah, you're still doing kind of the, like the material selection and everything, but he's got your, your, uh, making the drum process down and it's sugar approved. Yeah. And so the, so we go and I, and I pick out the wood and then, and then we come back and we chop it up and we stood and we sort of gravitated to, you know, there are several steps to the process and 
we we have a good rhythm in in that he's got one machine dialed and I've got another one and we can be really efficient without, you know, we can just put on headphones, turn on tools and not speak for the whole day and just spit out beautiful circles. And we kind of gravitate towards the tools that we're really good at kind of thing. Um, yeah. Cool. You guys are, you got the remote, the joys of uh, having a, a coworker, but none of that cubicle talk. So it's almost like working no. remotely. You got, you got the great, you got a great corporate office going on without any of that. <laughs> I don't know what any of that shit is. I've never had that. Oh, I suppose. Yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> we don't have a water cooler that we talk shit about other people at. We <laughs> wait till the tools turn off and then we do that, but it's just us. So you can't really talk about anybody else. Uh, um, it's great. It's wonderful. All you can do is think it while you're cutting. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure he thinks it about me. He's a far kinder person than I am. So, yeah. Uh, so uh, you kind of mentioned that uh, the sugar name is uh, derived from your daughter. Um, what's kind of the story behind, uh, you know, why, why did you select uh, that and how is she uh, influential to the drums? Um, well, I think I mentioned to you earlier that the, the name we selected because we couldn't get off some food kick for a middle name. Um, so sugar was the least offensive one, or at least one that we thought she would have the least trouble with, um, later on in life. Um, and then when I started the company, uh, you know, I think for me, I realize when I, when I reflect on in situations like this, um, I realize I have not in 22 years of making things, I have never made anything that someone needs. I have only been making stuff that people want, uh, and part of me feels gross for that. And part of me feels like that's an important thing too. And there, and there should be beautiful stuff in the world and people derive pleasure and benefit and enjoy from that. And, and so when I started this drum company that felt, I talked about feeling like I had something to contribute. And so there's a real, there's a real importance to it. And me naming the company after my daughter, who is my far and above favorite human in this world just felt uh, it felt appropriate. Um, I, I wanted, it's almost like a governor that <laughs> sometimes if, if the company were named after me, maybe I'd send out a bad drum every once in a while if I were in a crap mood. But if it's named after my daughter, there's no way I could do that. Um, it's, it was almost like an insurance of quality. And you'd have to answer to the boss if you had to go exactly. home and tell her that you sent out a bad drum. Yeah, exactly. And also, there's going to be a lot of therapy to pay for because I'm sure I've screwed her up in many ways. So <laughs> half the profits will go to that. Sugar percussion. We make drums to pay for therapy. Is that, that's not yes. a really good tagline. But <laughs> it's honest. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. So, um, you know, because they're custom and everything, uh, what, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of um, instrument makers I've talked to are, uh, you know, they have their artist roster, their family. Do you have any uh, major players that are uh, you're, you're proud to say play our sugar drum? I have some people that are, that are famous. I don't, I really don't like that whole part of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been really fortunate to meet some people that, would fall under that category that you're talking about and through mutual friends. Um, I've never done a, a, I guess a conventional endorsement program. I don't give away drums for free to get people to tell people that they love them. That always felt incredibly gross to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not a good salesman like that. I don't like that game. And, and if I get emails and the first thing 
in the email is people asking for something for free. I'm, I never learned that kill them with kindness thing. I was a terrible waiter. Um, <laughs> I just, I just don't like it. So yes, we do have some people that, that, uh, they play in bands that I used to buy their records and, and think they're amazing players, but it was, it was always more of an organic meeting. Um, mutual friends or um, I've actually uh, geared a lot of the uh, drum building towards the producing side of things because um, that always fascinated me um, more than just sort of drum nerdery talk. I was always fascinated about recording instruments and so I, I've made a lot of studio equipment for producers and engineers and that has led to from them owning instruments and they have great drummers coming through that's led to relationships um, with the drummers that have seen the instruments um, instead of just finding the most popular person on Instagram and offering them a free drum just so they'll say it sounds good kind of thing that kind of yeah. dodges that whole thing it's alright. You don't need any uh, Taylor Swift, right? That who doesn't play drums at all, you know, just to be <laughs> out there banging on something to say you own it. <laughs> Actually, I, that was the one endorsement thing that I wanted to do was find my favorite glam rock guitarist heroes from when I from the '80s and get them and do endorsement photos of if I played drums, I would play these kind of things. I, I <laughs> if I had a picture of Eddie Van Halen holding my drums that that part i would love but that would just be the the spoof side of endorsement just sort of mocking the grossness of it all but yeah, yeah. well it, what would make it better is making sure that your daughter was in the photo with them to just kind of validate <laughs> and make it really awesome and uh she get a chance to meet your idols and all. <laughs> exactly oh, i'm plenty fine exploiting her to meet my guitar idols of the 80s. that's fine i've got no shame in that that's where you screwed up that's where the therapy's coming <laughs> yep Oh, that's only one of the ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, before we, uh, you know, wrap it up, I kind of wanted to let you get a chance to uh, share the website and any of your social media so people can check out the products. Uh, all the normal stuff, sugarpercussion.com. Every, every social media stuff is just the name of the company. Um, so, and it seems to be the main form of marketing for all industry people now. So that's where I... Mm -hmm. Post pictures of the drums. When I get sick of posting pictures of drums, I post pictures of cars and my kid and my dog. And, and then I post some more drums because people complain. And, and then I get sick of it again. And so there's a smattering of stuff on there. You have that 50% furniture, 50% drum thing going on on, on Instagram and Facebook as well. However, huh? it's, you know, whenever the photos change it up. But <laughs> yeah, it's kind of what I, I, I post what I'm excited about. Um, my, you know, I imagine a marketer would tell me that's not quite the best way to go, but it's, uh, it feels more in a world of complete in office, inauthenticity. It feels a little more authentic. Um, it's mood based posting. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Well, as a marketer, the, um, authentic posting is definitely the best way. So, uh, I think you're doing just fine. <laughs> as if anyone can tell what's authentic anymore that's, anyway that's true that's true photoshop yeah. has destroyed everything so it just really there's nothing left yes so. <laughs> those are my real boobs in the photos those are not enhanced <laughs> and on that note <laughs> yes sorry Sorry. I've been so clean up until then. You did so well. And then at the end, I'll just wrap it up in there. Anyway, so, well, I want to thank you for joining me today. This has been great. 
You're very welcome. I appreciate the uh, privilege. Thank you for listening to Behind the Backline, brought to you by Octave Media, an inbound marketing agency focused on helping music merchants develop an automated solution to increase website sales. You can find Octave Media at www.octave.media. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or Google Play Music to learn more about great products and companies in the musical instrument, pro audio, and event technology space. And be sure to leave a review to let us know what you thought of this episode. We encourage you to share us with your friends and colleagues via social media, and we'll see you next time. Take care.